Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, I've been properly caffeinated, uh, even if if I cannot uh, uh, speak all that well. Um, And I'm really looking forward to our conversation uh, with this episode uh, for one of the, uh, uh, according to many uh, medical uh, uh, practitioners, patient rights advocates, and scholars, one of the most important uh, laws uh, probably passed in the last, what, 25, 30 years. Yeah. And, I, the, law, and the law is? Is, well, okay. I know it by its uh, acronym, acronym. Yes. HIPAA. Which stands and for? HIPAA is what people will say to you when they, when they, in sentences like, that would be a HIPAA violation. Yeah. Right? Yes. That, <laughs> and <laughs> for the, and, and, and for listeners, and by the way, that is the sentence most people will say. Yeah, and, and, when and discussing this, <laughs> and, and, and for listeners um, who are college students, HIPAA is like the equivalent of FERPA at college. Okay, um, and Nia, do you know what FERPA stands for? I do not. You don't know what FERPA stands for, and you work at a university. Oh I'm sorry. Goodness. I'm that guy. Family the, Educational Rights and Rights Privacy and Privacy Act. Act. Oh, that's where you can't give parents somebody's grades. You can't talk about. You can't, for instance, go into a class as a faculty member and say, I have uh, listed all of your midterm exam grades on my office door. Okay. Yeah, like they used to, where you just go up and look with uh, with all the number, and everybody would know what everybody got, and you felt like an idiot. Now you have the privacy of not having that. Also, um, I think other FERPA things like have to do with your financial aid. Nobody can disclose your financial aid status. Nobody can dispose. It it can like there's a lot of stuff your professors cannot find out about you, with good reason. Right. Unless if you you register with the Office of Disabilities, but you don't want them to tell your professor, they don't they don't tell your professors. And if you don't tell your professors, your professors never know, even though they could be helpful if they did know. But it's because they want to protect your your right to not disclose that information. And that's what this that's what HIPAA is about, too, isn't it? It's the. Yeah, the Health Insurance Port. Portability and Accountability Act, okay? This was a law that was passed in 1996. It basically had four objectives, uh, Nia, uh, one of which we've already begun to discuss, but let's mention all four and then we'll get to um, some of the issues that have arisen with HIPAA. Okay. Um, It had, uh, as I just mentioned, four objectives. The first one was uh, to make sure that your health insurance uh, was portable. In other words, it would go with you even if you changed a job, okay? Because what happened a lot 
before the Affordable Care Act was if that if you had a pre-existing medical condition, and for instance, you lost your job or you changed jobs, your new employer, their health insurance might go ahead and reject coverage of you because of your pre-existing medical condition. And this law prohibited that from occurring. And the reason you mentioned the Affordable Care Act is because that's a separate kind of insurance that you can get that is not employer-based. That's right. used to be that all of your health insurance came from your employer. There was no government choice. Yes. And the Affordable Care Act created a government choice so that you could you could get out of the business entirely of having it related to your job, which right. if you're a gig employee or if you're a part time employee, if you're self-employed, then then the Affordable Care Act gave you a way to get insurance. Even if you had a pre-existing medical condition, which. Health insurance. Um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Health insurance coverage that would be contracted by your employer could go ahead and say, well, if you want us to cover pre-existing medical conditions, it's going to cost the employer much more money. And many employers were like, but then that means we may not be able to offer health insurance for all of our employees, or we would offer less coverage to all. Or we pay less. Or we would, yeah, pay less. Right? So that we so that we can cover the insurance. I yes. think people don't realize when you get offered a job, let's say that you get offered a job for $1,000. I know you're not going to work for $1,000 a year. But if you got a job for $1,000 a year, your health insurance coverage is probably another $500 that the, that the employer pays. That's right. In order to cover you. Yes, that's it, those are your fringe benefits, part of your fringe benefit package. Yes, you know, at a lot of jobs is that. And so because they have to negotiate with insurance companies to cover their employees. They could conceivably the insurance companies have leverage to say things like, OK, but we won't cover your employees with diabetes because they cost more. Or, they cost you know, the insurance company more yeah, or whatever. You know, or any chronic condition or, as was the case a lot before this law, um, uh, uh, female employees of childbearing years. Ah. Okay. And I assume injuries at your previous job. Yes. We won't cover okay. you for things like that. So, so 1996 sees this sort of revolution in, in the federal government. In whether the, whether the yeah. insurance companies can deny you. Yes. Okay. So that was one, uh, one, uh, one of the objectives. That's the portability part of the acronym. Okay. Okay. A second objective was to reduce healthcare fraud and abuse. That's and the accountability what, part, I see. That's the accountability part, right? Um, so, um, and in particular, you had a whole bunch of Republican members of Congress who were like, you know, hospitals, medical providers are really um, unchecked in regards to submitting 
Medicaid and Medicare reimbursements. How, how is it that this aspirin costs $65? Dollars, right? You know, why is it a Band-Aid, okay, cost, you know, $12 when you could go ahead and get a bulk of 250 from your CVS for $7.99? Okay, right. this ain't right, okay? So that's the accountability part. Then you had enforced standards for health in, health information. Basically, this was a desire to force hospitals to report, okay, data in a uniform way, okay? You Using know, uniform like, terms. Uniform terms. Right. I mean, it's and kind of sort of like the reporting of crime data to the FBI, right? Because police departments frequently will cover up, okay, how severe their crime problem is by how they report the crime. Right. Likewise, hospitals- They downplay an attempted murder as an assault. Yes. Right, yes. to, to yes. try to make themselves not look, well, one, because they don't want their place to look as crime-ridden because then the city fathers are like, nobody will move here, nobody will build here, nobody will open a business, stop doing that. But also because it makes their closing rate look better. Like there's lots of reasons why you, why you would be tempted to do something like that. And, and, and in and, terms and, of, uh, I'm assuming in terms of similarly with hospitals, people get giant bills. And unless you say, I would like an itemized report of every single thing, then yes. you don't, then they just sort of say, your bill's $12,000 and you pay it and that's the end of that. As opposed to, wait, what is the $65 aspirin doing on here? Like, how, how is that a reasonable cost? How is that a reasonable? Yeah, you know, consultant. Oh, you know sorry, that's reducing the healthcare and then the standardizing. Don't call that aspirin um, blood thinning yeah, pill right. of whatever. Yeah, yeah right. right. Okay. Like, it's an aspirin. Let's all call it an aspirin so that we have a, sta a standard. To what, you know, a $250 consultant fee. Well, who got consulted, right? You know, was it, you know, the. Did you ask a nurse down at the nurse's station? Because that's not. Okay. Was it the, you know, the, the, the. Uh, the 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 cancer specialist or exactly. was it the you know you know was it the or the janitor or the, yeah <laughs> right like who who and and basically also things like um, if a patient dies from a gunshot wound but they also have a high level of drugs in their system yes formalizing how you would how you would report their death yes. helps national statistics understand whether more people are getting shot or more people are taking drugs and dying from it. Like which of those things, and it could be that both of those things are true or you can't tell which one of those things are true, but they sometimes I think hospitals used to just pick a thing and put it on their, on their death yeah. certificate, right? It, this person died it, of a gunshot wound and they didn't bring up the fact that they also had methadone in their system or they also had something else going on or whatever. And, and, it, was, and it might not have even been for nefarious reasons. Right, just okay. pick one because that's what we put in there, that's what we key in the system and we're done. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, when we were trying to preserve their life, the thing we were focused on was the gunshot wound. Exactly. 
Okay, so this is what they died from. Okay, now if you want a more complete picture of what led a person to die of a gunshot wound, you might want to go ahead and focus on did they have drugs in their system? Okay, um, um, uh, were they suicidal? Um, right. Okay, etc. Mental et state, physical states, all those state, things. Is it right? But the last objective is the one I believe <laughs> um, um, has uh, that particularly interests you. Mia. Yes, it makes me feisty. The last. Okay. HIPAA was to guarantee the security and privacy of health information. Okay. And the concern here was that um, medical patients were not always entirely sure who got to see their medical records, right? Were their medical records being shared with law enforcement, other government agencies? Were their medical records being shared with their employers, their spouses, okay? Um, Interns in a teaching hospital? Yeah, that's right, okay? I mean... So the idea was, again, this is all rooted in the concept of privacy. And as we've discussed in previous episodes, privacy as a legal social construct really begins in this country about, what, 55, 60 years ago, right. but it's pretty amazing the extent to which privacy now, I mean, think about it, Nia, in the roughly first 10 minutes of this podcast episode, we've talked about two federal laws that are designed to go ahead and protect the privacy of certain elements of people's lives. You know, college students in their, their educational privacy, but with HIPAA, it's individuals, medical records are supposed to be private, okay? And, and what makes me feisty about that, I'm gonna leap into feistiness and you're just gonna have to pull me oh, back. Feel free. Um, what makes me feisty, I should say about it is, is I'm torn of two minds. There are things that I think, like, I don't think that the doctor should call and leave a message on an answering machine in a, in a house of, so your gonorrhea test came back and it's fine, right? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You just put somebody in for nothing else, a verbal beating and potentially a physical beating. Like, there are reasons why you may want yeah, privacy. Yeah, imagine, imagine your significant other being the one that goes ahead and plays and that And hears that, exactly. And finds out that you have gonorrhea. Really? Or you don't have gonorrhea, but you got tested for it. Why would you need to get tested for it? Right? Like, <laughs> and now you've got a whole different set of issues. That, and if your person, and if your spouse is violent, that can end in, yes. in serious injury or death. Right? Yeah. So there's that side of it that I totally understand. But the flip to that is if you are having a seriously distressed episode where you are potentially a danger to yourself, the medical profession's hands are tied about yes. getting you intervention. Yes. Because they can't tell the police. They can't tell your family. They can't yes. tell anybody that you are in this seriously dangerous and fragile state. 
Whereas if your family knew, most families, not all families, but most families would try to intervene in some way. They would not want you to feel alone in that time. They would not and want potentially you potentially to... harm yourself and harm others. And, exactly. And, and, you know, and I'm just going to use this as an example because it's pretty widely reported and came out in court cases established as fact. But that was one of the issues with the Virginia Tech uh, mass shooting um, earlier this millennium. The shooter, okay, had mental health issues, um, had gone to school counselors, but because of both HIPAA and FERPA, their hands were tied. Right. Their hands were tied, okay? Um, so even if they wanted to let others know whether it been his family, okay, or you know, local law enforcement, their hands were tied. And that's one of the results of HIPAA, okay? And I get that we don't want to embroil people in a criminal system where they're not a criminal. I understand that. I understand the argument of you don't want to tell the police that this person may be homicidal because they may not be, and now you've tarred them with a brush that they that they may never yeah, get out because from once under. you get into the system they may not be able to get out of the system right right and i okay. i appreciate you that know, like you know, it's whether just it's law a... enforcement or mental health okay um i understand that you, you make a really good point but i'm kind of sort of with you on this nia those who could be helped might not be getting the help right because medical professionals now are going to think twice three times or may just go come just come to the conclusion it's far safer for me not to be charged with a violation of HIPAA than it is to stick my neck out and get help for this person and potentially who, get sued yes yeah right right so we created a series of professionals who have yet another reason to be risk adverse, okay, instead of creating the conditions to where they might want to help those who need help and are not capable of getting it. I mean, because let's face it, there are various people who have mental health conditions, drug addiction issues, okay, um, or, you know, they're encountering medical conditions and they don't feel comfortable, for instance, you know, talking to a parent um, or a sibling um, or a significant other. And the condition gets worse, not better, because their medical health professional feels as though their hands are tied. Right. Okay. It also, it, it has a cooling effect on research. Oh, a huge one. Because, yeah. you yeah, know, the research there's so episode, much you can't yeah. ask. Yeah. In, in um, okay, so one of the things, just briefly, and I'm not trying to get completely off topic here, but a thing that people need to know that happens at most research institutions, and most research institutions have an in institutional review board, an IRB. Yes. And you have to go to them 
and say, this is the thing I want to study and it will not hurt people or it will not hurt animals or it will not hurt. And this is how, and I have a whole plan for doing that so that I don't injure people. Because we don't want experiments a la Mengele, right? Where you got to freely hurt people and have that be okay. That's not okay. It's not okay for us to hurt each other when we're doing research. It's not okay for us to hurt animals when we're doing research. And yes. so the IRBs at most institutions have a pretty strict process. One of the ways that you can get around that is to say, I would like to look at, at chart data from, from 10,000 patients who were treated between X year and Y year. And I want to see if, if they were treated for a heart problem, was there within five to 10 years, a noticeable difference in some other thing? Because you're trying to connect those two things. Now, asking for that data is really complicated. Like you can't, yes. You can't just say to the hospital, hey, can I have 10,000 charts between these these years where before they might have said, sure, and just anonymized the name, right, taking the name off the chart. Now there's so much other information. And there's so many rules about whether you can use people's data for a study that you'd have to contact 10,000 people, get their permission, have them sign a contract that says they understand what you're going to look at, like, there's a lot involved in it. And, and, and for the lawyers who are listening, please forgive me if it sounds like I'm going to beat up on you. But now to get those consent forms filled out, the lawyers have gotten involved, Nia. Okay. And those consent forms are multiple pages. Right. <laughs> and, what and, and, and again, that's the job of lawyers because lawyers right. are supposed to pr protect their clients. And if their client is, you know, a research hospital, a research right. university, they're trying to protect the client. But the consent forms are now multiple pages. And the effect on the percentage of patients who are willing to have even non-identifiable medical information shared for research purposes, okay, went down almost immediately after HIPAA was passed, right. right? Because most of us, when we are given a multiple page consent form, okay, our response is typically one of two things, according to studies. And I actually looked this up. One, we just reject it out of hand. I'm not going to nope. read through all this. I'm not I'm doing not this. filling this out. Right. Or we re read it and then we pause to think about what am I actually signing or agreeing to? And again, that means you have not agreed to participate in a study because you can't wait forever if you're going to do a study on the, for instance, the effect of a particular drug on, you know, heart attack patients recovering, right? Right. Okay. Because, you know, and, time is of the essence. And now they have people who will come in and explain the contract to you. Like that's a job. One of the jobs is that you go in and they explain to you exactly what you're agreeing to. So now you're talking about more person hours, yes. more time spent convincing patients to do that. So, so the cost of a study goes up because you have to have 
and if you're doing 10,000, one person can't do that. You've got to have a battery of people who do that. So now you have to hire a bunch of those people to explain to the patient exactly what they're signing. But, and all of that has to then be note, notarized that this is what you explained. And then both people have to sign that document. Like it's just, it really can slow down. And I get that we're trying to protect people's privacy, but by the same token, dude, research is how we figure out what works and what doesn't medically wise. Yeah. I mean, one of the, <laughs> the, more the alternates are not a good choice. We'll just give it to you and see what happens. No, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, we're just, we're just going to fly blind here. Okay. Right. Like, okay. Let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, one of the more fascinating things, Nia, when I was doing research for this episode um, was the conclusion that at least two new industries developed because of HIPAA. You already mentioned the first. The explainy people? Yeah. The hiring of staff to of explain. contractors, right. <laughs> to explain <laughs> your privacy rights. Okay. The second, okay, was the industry to ensure uh, accountability. <laughs> okay, because okay. remember, because you got to go ahead now and make sure that what you report to the federal government, okay, and how you report it, okay, satisfies the various st standards and criteria. So a whole new industry, it's, it, it's like, uh, a, a subconcentration of public health programs at colleges and universities are for individuals who've been trained to do HIPAA accountability. <laughs> I thought it was, I, I was just like, this is, this, this is a great example of the law of unintended consequences. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You were trying to do a good thing and it has yes. these effects. Yes. And, and by the way, listeners, please don't hear Augie and I saying, and they should get rid of HIPAA. That's not what we're no. saying. No, at no, all. no, 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 no. That is not. But we are saying we should recognize that it has made, for instance, at some medical institutions, they can't afford to do these kinds of studies anymore yes. because they're just too expensive. And we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars added to the grant that you get to do the research. So, and it cuts either the number of participants or it cuts the length of time you can study or it, cut, it, it adds to the length of time that it takes to do the thing. So you're not getting as timely information and, and you know, studies as you could be getting. Yeah, I mean, and, and in part, I mean, and I kind of sort of gravitate towards this. So listeners, you know, this is a mea culpa on my part, okay? You know, part of what I teach, part of what I study is bureaucracy. And right. HIPAA has created, okay. Um, <laughs> its uh, own bureaucracy. Its own bureaucracy. Yes. Um, it, okay. And, and, and its again, own boogeyman. Yes. Okay. Right. HIPAA, right? Like it's. Yeah. Okay. And a again, HIPAA violation scares us not out of most medical. Yeah. Because the lawsuits can be outrageous. Yeah. They can be outrageous. Right. And. And sometimes these lawsuits end up concluding that they didn't do it on purpose right? when they violated HIPAA, okay? They just didn't know, right? Or they, they didn't do it on purpose, but they're still going to be held accountable and it's still going to cost them. It's going to cost That's them. That's the other, okay? the other and, part and, of that. Okay, and 
and the the making hospital hospitals and their processes more bureaucratic okay is, <laughs> does is, not seem like a good idea <laughs> that doesn't seem like a good idea although it, it, in fairness do you remember when we were kids you uh, i don't know if you were ever in the hospital i was in the oh, hospital when i was a kid yeah and the chart hung on the wall outside mm -hmm. your room so any schmuck walking by yep pull off your chart and look through it and there was a thing one that a, anybody did anything about uh, nia i got a funny anecdote uh i was like eight or nine years old i had a paper route and for our younger listeners, I apologize if you don't know what a paper route was, but um, uh, or or is he rode a bicycle through town and threw newspapers onto people's lawns? Yes, because at somewhere then, around five o'clock in the morning, so that they could have their paper when they got up to have their morning breakfast before they went to work. Well, this was actually an afternoon paper route. Oh, okay? nice after okay, school. So, yeah, so I, I finished school. Okay. And I would deliver, my route was about 120 houses, right? And you are correct. I rode my bike most days, right? Uh, and this is when newspapers were still in hard copy uh, format. So not newspapers you would read on a computer, okay? So I was delivering a paper. I go to uh, this woman's house. Um, I had to walk down a little alleyway. Um, and as I come around the corner of her house, her big German shepherd is in the yard. Hey, Okay. Now I was I, I I was born and raised around dogs. I was taught to never run from a dog. Right. Because for some dog breeds, that's, okay. That's okay, just too tempting. Yes. Okay. They view it as prey to be caught. Yes. Okay? Don't run from a greyhound. Okay. Especially if you're small and fuzzy. And I ran. And the German oh. shepherd caught me and he took a chunk out of my leg, right? Oh. So, um, oh, I feel so uh, bad for young Augie. Okay, the ambulance was called. I went to the hospital. I'm in the ER, right? Um, and you were talking about the chart hanging on the wall outside the curtain where they, you know, concluded that I needed 12 stitches. And uh, because the dog, had his shots, I wouldn't have to get the rabies shot treatment. Oh, good. Okay. But nevertheless, the chart was hanging right outside the wall. Oh, yeah. And every okay. intern, every oh, no, 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 nurse, no. It, it gets even worse. Patient okay. walking by can just pull it off and look at it. The mother and the child right beside, okay, as they were leaving, I hear them pause look at my chart lift open up the curtain and say i'm sorry you got bit by a dog but you know you should not run from a dog <laughs> like, huh and they were like it's on your chart and i was just like that ain't right okay i was right. already feeling bad enough i was feeling you know and now some stranger has made you feel even worse about worried, you know. right okay so listeners Please understand, Nian and I, Nian and I do understand the the privacy value, right? But 
But now nobody can go back and look at the charts of young boys with paper routes in Pennsylvania who got bitten by dogs and see if they turned out to be political science professors. Like there's no... And yes, there is is reasonable... Yeah, there's a lot of good things from HIPAA in regards to privacy, right? Right, right. Okay. When we've, so we've, t- we, we've touched upon the fact that your, your medical information is yours. Right. Okay. Which it is especially pre- good in... in um, it prevents discrimination, right? It, right. Okay, because again, because the information is private, okay, and not all doctors and hospitals used to do this. So if you're involved with the medical profession, understand that we're not painting with a broad stroke here. But there were incidents, practices in the past in the United States, where because healthcare information was public, provision of healthcare services was provided on a discriminatory basis. Right. Okay. Uh, and and this in particular was how medical insurance providers were able to discriminate based on pre-existing conditions because your medical information was not necessarily private. It was in some cases owned by your employer because they provided the fringe benefit of medical insurance. Right, so and, and, and you could be denied certain coverages Yes. Because they felt like it because they weren't, they didn't want to cover them. So I like, I mean, there's, that's a really good thing. Excuse me. It also allows you to see your chart. I know, I know it sounds like the stone ages to people who haven't lived under, under HIPAA. And most of the students we work with now have lived under HIPAA. So their, their formative years, they under, they, they don't have this understanding. But before that, it used to be that you had to beg, borrow and steal to be able to see your, your chart. You would say to the doctor, can I see my chart? And they'd be like, no, but why not? Why can't I see my chart? Oh, because it'll just confuse you. You won't understand what's in here and blah, blah, blah. Look at pterodactyl. And they would look out the window and try to get you distracted and you would never see your chart. So you didn't know whether there were mistakes. You didn't know whether there were problems that you didn't know about that the doctor didn't tell you about. Like sometimes doctors You couldn't even correct misdiagnosis, yeah. right? Well, and sometimes doctors did, just didn't tell you stuff because they didn't think it was a thing you needed to worry about. Yes. And maybe that's true, but you should have the right to make that decision. You should have the right to decide whether you want to know what your hemoglobin numbers are or not. That should not be up to the medical professional to decide whether you need to know or whether they think you can understand it. That's not up to them. So I like that it it gave patients um, sort of more autonomy in their own health. Their their own, and and even access. I mean, again- You know, Nia, I don't know about you, but, you know, since I've moved around quite a bit, getting access to my medical records has been difficult, right? Um, right. And, and one of the things that I go ahead and point out is, you know, to, you know, and, I, and I've done this to former medical providers is, according to HIPAA, I should have access. So where's my access? Now, of course, when I read through those documents when they've been delivered to me, 
some of it is just downright hilarious, right? <laughs> um, um, uh, again, another funny anecdote, or at least I think it's funny. Uh, there was an inter intake nurse who apparently was new on the job. And there was a, a, a box on the form that said patient description. And she described me as follows. Patient looks like a small refrigerator with abnormally long limbs. <laughs> that was her patient description. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. That's so cruel, but it's also funny. Oh, yeah, I, I, what I a laugh. terrible, what a terrible and useless description yes. right like yeah, but, I, I don't know how none of that, that has anything to do with your medical treatment or why i was there which i think i was there <laughs> for like like an ear infection or some darn you know something right. that was like, like in college really right? okay. now you're just how being, that helped the doctor right now you're just being a bitch i mean let's okay. just be honest okay but that was hilarious i laughed at it i was just like yeah but some people fun. wouldn't some yes. people would that would find that very distressing. Yeah. You are one of those people who's pretty, pretty self-confident. You're pretty able to say, yeah, I'm kind of a big door, right? Like, and yes, and I'm yes. one of those people too. It's one of the reasons we get along, but there are people for whom that could be a serious. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. You know, seriously harsh thing to hear. I, I also think that it does a, um, isn't the like don't medical records have to be centralized now yes okay um so, and again, so you don't get lost uh, okay so again sorry anecdote people i know we're telling a lot of those today but when i first went back to college i was an adult person um uh well i mean i was older i don't know if i was an adult but I, let's I, just I work do, it i do believe listeners in the <laughs> language of higher education Nia was considered a non-traditional student. I was a non-traditional student. I had come back after 20 years of working in the workforce, right? So I yes. was in my 40s. And yes. um, and Whether I Whether or not she had matured to okay, adulthood is a whole separate issue. <laughs> um, but I uh, so I came to the university and I said, okay, I'm gonna be a student, right? And so I filled out all the paperwork and they're like, great, we need you to have your meningitis shot. And I was like, yeah, I don't live on campus. They're like, yeah, we don't care. So I had a meningitis shot. And then they said, we need your MMR. Now I moved around a lot as a kid. So I called my mom and I said, hey mom, where's my MMR? And my mom actually laughed on the phone at me and said, you gotta be kidding me. I have no idea where your MMR is. Yes. So, sorry, measles, mumps, and rubella. Yes. So guess what I got? I got two MMR shots in my 40s because I couldn't prove that I had had them as a child. And yep. in fairness to the university, the university has to protect the body as a whole, meaning all of, the, yes. all of the university students. So they can't just have me running around in class not having those shots and potentially giving people other illnesses. So I get it. I'm not, I, I don't object to that. But it would have been really nice if 
if this had happened, if HIPAA had happened in the late 1960s, so that all of my records could have been in one spot. And that's true of a lot of people who move around. There, we have a lot of people in the United States who move from place to place, who move from school district to school district, and those records can get lost. So it's really nice that HIPAA has created a, a requirement that your records be findable and that they be connected to each other so that you have a, an ongoing history of your health, as it were. And again, that's one of the values of central or coming, coming up with uh, clearer, more readily agreed upon terminology for procedures that have been done, care right. that has been received. And HIPAA also, you know, actually forced the medical profession to kind of sort of move into the late 20th century, early 21st century in regards to information technology. Because right, paper HIPAA records. Yeah, HIPAA requires a data backup plan to be in place and tested on a regular basis. Um, uh, medical providers, all data has to be strong password protected. So actually the medical industry was one of the first industries in the United States that adopted strong passwords. And again, for our younger listeners, me and I are old enough to remember when okay, <laughs> password you, was your password. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Or one, two, three, four, five, six, or some other. Yeah, right. Okay. Your birth date. Your, your right? birth date. Something that okay. was super knowable that people yeah, could just I mean, guess. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we are okay. of that generation. Yeah, we but, are that generation. Because, and, and, and general, way, in fairness to us, we didn't put things on computers when they first came out that yes. we cared about other people not being able to find. Computers yeah. were not the secretive thing or potentially secretive thing that no. they are now. You know what you used a computer for? Homework. Yes. That, that, that's really, there, there wasn't the internet. You used it to type papers in Word Perfect. Computer games. Remember Word Perfect? Yes. Right. Yeah. You played, perfect computer games. But I mean, I mean this idea they were that, they that were people, basically carving into stone like they did in the you know in the in the Stone Age. Like we're yeah. not yeah, it's right? a whole different animal now. And now that there's so much information, I'm glad that there's a lot better protection and backup. And and again, this all is incentivized, encouraged, if you will, by HIPAA. Okay. Right. Uh, prohibition or protections against malicious, you know, malware, okay, you know, and I know that's redundant, but I mean, you know, malicious software, okay. Right. Um, so there are a number of, you know. And I would assume that it helps you with medical errors. Yes. Right. Like if yes. you're doing something electronically, it's easier to, to say, whoa, 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 if we get these two medications together, they're counter they'll counteract each other and and, and either not, bad things will happen or nothing will happen well and nia not surprisingly because again we're old enough to remember this medical professionals did not like that because they were like i'm the expert okay right. and i don't want a computer system okay telling me what i should do as the expert oh okay but listeners we can tell you a secret if you'd like to know 
which is that nurses have always saved patients from doctors' mistakes. Yes. Because, nurses, because nurses yes. are the ones who actually give you the drugs. Yes. And they are the ones who have taken enough chemistry in school that sometimes they'll say, in fact, most of the time they say, wait a minute, if I give these two things at the same time, this patient's going to flatline. Like, I'm not, and then they'll gently say to the doctor, I can't really read your writing on this. Can you clarify for me that we are giving blah, 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 instead of blah, 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 and give them a chance to save face. And, but my mom was a nurse and she did that countless of time, countless times, because that's what they did. Now you have another system that helps with that. Oh, hey. By having to put it, you know, and by having the doctor have to click on things, check things, you also are not getting the crazy handwriting stuff that you used to get in handwritten charts where nobody could read it, including the doctor, but that's a whole separate issue. Um, So, I mean, you know, listeners, part of the reason why we wanted to go ahead and and do an entire episode about HIPAA is that as Nia started off the episode, what you hear HIPAA used all the time, right? right? Um, well, you do on, uh, maybe we hear that a lot because we have a medical school, Yeah, we but are, you also hear it on TV a lot too. TV, yeah, right, you know, on, you know, you know, shows that are streamed, right, you know, if, if right. the setting is a hospital or a doctor's office, chances are there's going to be an episode or, you know, three or four that makes reference to HIPAA, right. okay, um, but, you know, again, for listeners, as as you go through your life and you interact with medical providers, um, it's good to know what your rights are. Um, it's also, I think, fair to go ahead and discuss what were the original purposes of this groundbreaking law, because it was groundbreaking, okay? Um, but also to understand the unintended consequences. Um, right. And there are perhaps some things that need to be addressed um, as we move forward into the 21st century. I think one of the main things that you brought up in your list of things that it, it is that it doesn't give patients standing. Yes, in court. Like, okay, so yes. court, your entire way that you can bring a court case is the first thing that the judge decides is whether you have standing, whether you individually can sue the other party that's right have you been harmed in some way and did this happen to you like did or did it happen to other people and you just you're morally offended by it it morally offended doesn't mean you can sue you have to show that you have had direct harm from this individual and that you have a reason to bring this lawsuit and this and hipaa didn't give patients no what you have to do is complain to Health, the Department of Health and Human Services, and then it's up to HHS to decide how they want to, if you will, um, enforce the law to protect you or remedy the harm that you have received. But you can't go to court and claim that according to HIPAA, uh, I've been injured. Because what a federal judge is gonna say is, did you file a complaint with health and human services. So do they sue the provider on your behalf or do they say, yes, there's a reasonable complaint here and then you can sue? 
Well, no, what HHS does is decides, they decide whether or not the complaint has merit. Okay. Um, and according to my research, in a 15 year period of time between 2003 and 2018, HHS received <laughs> over 186,000 complaints regarding HIPAA, okay? 96% of those claims get resolved, okay, without HIPAA or without HHS filing a lawsuit against the medical provider. So okay. most, most instances, what HHS does is contact the hospital, contact the doctor and say, okay, um, did you do X? They conduct an investigation, okay? Um, if after the investigation, HHS concludes a violation of HIPAA did occur, then HHS has discretionary authority to decide what would be the suitable punishment. Uh, okay? So usually it's corrective action. Yeah, corrective quit, action. Quit leaving charts laying around in people's yeah, yes, rooms right? or hanging on their doors or whatever. You, you know, or you got to let patients actually have a meaningful review of their medical records or, okay, okay um, you know, you have a breach in your data backup system which this patient found out about, you got to stop that. So what are the corrective steps are you going to take? Okay. Now, if the hospital or the doctor's office basically goes ahead and says, you know, you know, bugger off, you know, HHS, then HHS has to decide, are we going to take them to court or are we going to go find a different way to go ahead and force compliance, right? Gotcha. But you as an individual, okay, can't run to a federal courthouse and say, my HIPAA rights were violated because according to HIPAA, okay, your rights can only be, if you will, implemented by HHS, which again is a complaint. Because right. it's and a we've had we've yes. talked about this in episodes before where sometimes it's not a you can't do anything in the courts what you do is it's adjudicated by an agency yes you go to the agency and you say hey a thing and they say oh yeah that's a thing and we will make them stop doing it or whatever um, yeah. it may and, and it may not end up with you getting anything other than changes to the way that that group operates but it's still a good thing to do if you have a complaint Yes, you should file it because if there is a problem, it needs to be fixed. You're not the only one that that's happening to most likely. It's hardly ever that the doctor has singled you out for violations yeah, or it, bad behavior or whatever. Yeah, that's I mean, not it's, usually, it's usually a practice problem. And yes. it often it has to do with the number of people they see and sort of procedures can get a little sloppy. Yes. Sometimes it's usually not a personal vendetta. I'm going to release your information in some horrible way that's going to ruin your life. I mean, I'm sure that happens to some people, but it's not, it's pretty rare, I would think. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and again, listeners, think about what Nia just mentioned in terms of COVID 19. Hospitals have seen so many patients that their emphasis on trying to maintain life may at times mean. They were not a stickler for following every aspect 
right of HIPAA of, of, of HIPAA. I mean, and that's understandable. Okay, but again, according to my research, yeah, thirty-one um, percent uh, of those hundred eighty-six thousand complaints, um, the investigation concluded that there was no violation, which again reflects the fact that many Americans might not truly understand what HIPAA protects or doesn't protect, okay? You and I know, because we've had experience with HIPAA. I know because I did a whole bunch of research, okay? But let's face it, most Americans, when they go to a hospital, are not necessarily thinking about HIPAA. They're going right. to a hospital because they want to feel what? Better. Better. They need health care. And or and or they are not going to a hospital of their own volition. They're going because they're so ill that they've been taken there. Um, I would assume and this is a side note, but I know we're going to wrap up relatively soon and I wanted to get it in here. You mentioned um, COVID. Technically, telling your family that you are not likely to survive the evening is a HIPAA violation. Yeah, because they should not be revealing your health status to your family without your permission. And if you are in a coma or in some other state that where you can't give that permission, but most hospitals will err on doing that so that the family can say goodbye yes. and be with the person when they die, because we have. And that's the complicating factor of HIPAA is where is the moral ethical line versus right? the legal yep. exactly i mean technically yep. have you violated that person's HIPAA rights yes but is it better for humans to be with other humans than to be alone when they die for most people yes most yes. people would perceive that they would want to be with family so there's a real i mean it's a really hard push pull we're we're i mean we've talked for 50 minutes or so about this we could talk for weeks about this. It's a really complicated yes. issue. Um, it's not as simple as you shouldn't ever tell anybody anything about anybody else's health because sometimes people need to know, but by the same token, disclosure can really harm people. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I got to admit, Nia, because of my you know, experience with and studying HIPAA, even with my friends, I will go ahead and ask, um, is it all right if I share with others? Um, right. and, 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 and again, that's informed by my experience with HIPAA. I mean, it, it's pretty amazing how a law can go ahead and shape behavior beyond the purpose of the law. But I mean, I'm at a point now to where I'm just kind of sort of like, you know, if one of my friends is really sick and they've disclosed their illness to me, uh before i even you know i'm like you know is it all right if i go ahead and share with others and if so with whom right um because again uh it's it's been inculcated in my brain not to share it yeah because medical information medical you know your medical uh, information is your private business right and part of where that comes in for us listeners is that we've both been in higher education for so long yes. and FERPA yeah. like so students parents used to call the library and ask if, if their student had taken the tour of the library yet that was required 
for the UNIV 100, 100, 111, 200 courses. And I'd be like, I can't disclose that to you. Like, I, I'm not disclosing to you the movements of your adult child. If you yes. want to know that question, you're going to have to ask them yourself, and then you're going to have to trust whatever answer you get. But that's not, and I think probably you and I are cautious in part because we come out of that system of oh, yeah. asking yeah. yourself constantly, what am I allowed to disclose here? Like I ask students when they, when they come for a meeting, for a consultation meeting, I and I think they need to talk to the professor, I will say, would you like me to tell the professor about the problem or do you want to? I want to give them that choice. I'm not going to step in and do that for them. It's not right. One, because they're adults. But two, because that's their, their professor. They may not want their professor to know that they came to the library for help. Yeah. Some students don't. And I don't, I don't disclose that unless it's a requirement of the professor and the class which I, I mean, only have in, a couple in, that do that. So yeah, in, it's... And in, 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 to your point, Nia, um, in regards to FERPA, and I know FERPA is, is really shaped and molded, um, you know, my, if you will, uh, appreciation of an individual's privacy, because, you know, I'll have parents of students in my classes call me up and say, How's you know, my kid uh, doing in your class? Yeah, and you know, and I'm like, until I see a signed waiver by your son or daughter, um, I can't even comment. Your son or daughter is in my class. Exactly. And, and I, I I'm not even acknowledging that you have a child until. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. And 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 they're like, but I'm paying for their education, and I'm like, that may be so. Okay, sir or ma'am, but until I but they're see, still an adult. Yes, and according and, to this law and according to this university, they have privacy rights. That's right. And again, and again, what's probably made this more difficult. And again, uh, for our younger listeners, I apologize, but Nia and I are old enough to remember where our semester grades actually got mailed to our house. Yes. Right. So often. My, Often to whoever was co-listed on your tuition account, which was usually yes. a parent. So my mom got my grades before I did most of the time when I was in college the first time. Well, yeah, because, you know, they would get mailed, mailed to my mom's, you know, my permanent my address. And she'd open permanent, it. Okay. Right. Uh, and, you know. And, and I wouldn't get home for like three or four days after I took my <laughs> final exam, right? So yep. I, I, I would get home and my mom would be waiting, okay, to discuss my final, you know, final grades. And I'm like, I don't even know what they are yet, mom. And she was just like, well, why don't you know? And I was just like, because I just took the exams like you know, three <laughs> or four days ago, right? She was right. just like, it doesn't doesn't seem like you're all that interested. And I'm like, hey, it's the end of a long semester, okay? Right now, I want to sleep. In two days, I will talk to you about this. Yeah, right? And my mom would be like, well, I've had these for a half a day, and I've been thinking about, and I'm like... I've been stewing on them, yes. Yeah, yeah. translated. I've been thinking of all the ways <laughs> I want to go ahead and give you the business. Right. right. <laughs> so so we, we come from a time when you just didn't have those kinds of rights. So Part of it is that we are we admire 
HIPAA and what it protects. And also part of it is we, we again, going back to Augenbaugh's law of unintended consequence of unintended administrative consequences. Consequences, yeah. Okay. Which is, this is going to turn out in ways that you did not expect, and it's going to have to be, and there are ongoing things that need to be, that need to be fixed about it, especially the complaint system, especially um, the, the, effect, the effect on research, but also clinical treatment. Okay? Right. Okay. Does it, does it encourage risk adverse behavior by medical professionals? Because Exactly. They because they don't want to be found in violation of HIPAA, okay? Or and, because and, they don't know, because something hasn't been shared with them. Yeah, and, 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 and also another way to look at this need is, you know, the rational comprehensive decision-making model would suggest that after we implement a decision, we should evaluate its effectiveness and then do what? Fix make, it. Yeah, make changes, okay? Fix it. Right. Because nothing is perfect in the first instance. We're human beings. We're going to make mistakes. So there's no, you know, there's no sin in saying, hey, we attempted something pretty darn good. We got some. It's been, it's been 34, 35 years. We should probably take a look at it and see if it's still working the way we think it's going to work now. There, there's this thing called the Internet. Yeah. Right. Like, it, and we got multiple years of results, right. right? We can go ahead and take a look at this and say, okay, are we comfortable with X? If not, how do we modify it, right? That's not a bad thing, right? I mean, a, right. Law, can, a law still can be good even if- But need okay, tweaking. Yes, okay? That's not a need bad tweaking. thing. We just a yes. little, little bit of tweaking around the yes. edges. Yes. So if you're listening to us, HHS- <laughs> and the White House and Congress. Congress. We have some ideas about tweaking, about about how to clean up a few of the concerns here. And we don't have ideas about some of them, but they still need to be cleaned up. So anyway. How cool will that thank be? Thank you, Augie. Before we- If we got a call from the White House, we'd like you to work on our task force for updating HIPAA. Uh, who's the uh, secretary of HHS? Xavier Becerra, right? Yeah. Oh. Okay. If you get a call from him, I want to know about it. If <laughs> I get right, a call yeah. from Jen Pisaki, I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Augie. All, right, yeah. All right. Have a good day. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU libraries. Special thanks to the workshop for technical assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.